So it's nice to uh, nice to finally chat with you. Yes, I'm pretty excited about it myself. Cool, cool. Now you had to propose a, a topic on the board which had more to do, if I remember rightly, and I apologize if I if my mind has drifted, but I I am getting old. Um, that you had talked about wanting to talk a little bit more about your own sort of personal history and the effects that it might have had on your political activism. Is that right, or was was it another topic? Sure, I, I, I've been open to that topic for a while. Okay, okay. Do you want to tell me a little bit about your uh, history, uh, upbringing, family, all that kind of stuff? Um, let's see. Well, uh, brought up uh, by parents that I... I figured were a little overprotective, didn't let me outside without permission, didn't let me go to the movies without having, you know, someone older than me go with me, and uh, couldn't travel around, couldn't take a walk uh, until I was a uh, lot older, I guess. So, and older being what? Uh, like teenager or so. Wow, so that Britney Spears song must be really emotional for you, the overprotected one? I don't think I've heard it. Just kidding. Anyway, go on. So, so you wanted you were a teenager until uh, you became a teenager before you were allowed to take a walk in the neighborhood. Is that right? Well, not not entirely. I did go out from time to time with uh, my friends and uh, parents and things, but uh, not as much as I wanted to. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, what was the uh, and was that the most important thing or the the central theme that you remember from your childhood, or were there other ones that were more important or about the same? Just uh, wanting to escape, wanting to go other places. Uh, I think that's the the central thing. Right. Okay. And uh, your parents were together. And tell me a little bit about them. Yeah, two parents, uh, both Catholic. Uh, I was uh, adopted, and so one of the promises they had to make was to raise me uh, as a Catholic, and uh, I didn't like that too much. But uh, no, I can imagine. <laughs> Uh, both parents stayed together, never ha been through a divorce or anything. And what is their level of religiosity? Uh, not that uh, much. Actually, they like um, left it to the church and the catechism teachers to teach me about that. They never, I don't think they ever brought it up with me directly. And did they themselves go to church? Uh, occasionally, yes. <laughs> Occasionally. Okay, so like Easter, Christmas, that sort of stuff? Yeah, big events. Okay, and so is it fair to say that their religion was more social or cultural than it was fervent? Yes, because I uh, never had any religious, uh, theocratic sort of discussions at home. Okay, and uh, did they say sort of uh, say your prayers, or was that pretty much on your own recognizance? I don't think they even uh, asked me to say prayers at any time. Did they say grace at uh, the table? No, never said grace at the table. Really? Okay. Okay, that's interesting. Um, read the Bible uh, or anything like that? No, uh, I don't think they read anything, actually. But <laughs> So pretty much the, the Catholic Church was a good place to get a baby, as far as I mean, like, that the price you pay <laughs> is baptism and some childhood instruction, right? That seems like to be the, yeah, the case. And has that changed uh, overall since you were a kid? You mean, have I ever been more religious, or? No, sorry. I mean, just I'm just trying to figure out your, your, where your parents are coming from. So, um, have uh, ha has your parents' lack of religiosity changed as they've gotten older? No, uh, they died when they were 
what, 60 or so. That was uh, 20, 30 years ago. So they were the same religiosity all the time I knew them. Right, right. Okay. Okay. Um, and when it came to uh, ethical discipline, which is really the core, I mean, in my view anyway, it's sort of the core uh, of parenting. When you did something that your parents disagreed with, or when you did something that they thought you shouldn't have done or whatever, what was their general um, approach to uh, attempting to modify your behavior? Um, mostly just uh, authority, uh, do it because I say so, or sometimes they would bring in the uh, uh, you've hurt me by making a mistake or whatever, and uh, I don't want you to hurt me anymore. Okay, now these poles, not to be overly sexist, but these poles tend to fall along the gender lines, right? So the fathers tend to be more authoritarian and the mothers tend to be a little bit more of the tearful victim side. Does that, um, does, was that the case in your family or was it different? Actually, it was the opposite. My mom was pretty much in charge and more authoritarian than my dad. And my dad was uh, kind of pleaded with me at times to, to stop hurting him, you know, stop asking him to stay up late and because I wanted, you know, to do things with him. And he had a, a night or a graveyard shift job and he wanted to go to bed. And... Oh, so he was more like, uh, it, it hurts me when you do this, so you shouldn't do it because it hurts me. That's right. And your mother was more like, I'm your mother, I know better, this is why you do it. Yeah, you'll, and uh, you'll do it because I say so. Right, right, okay, okay. And what was, I'm trying to sort of get a sense of, uh, and appreciate this is good candid stuff, I'm, I'm trying to get a sense of where the fear of the world seems to have come from, right? Because it seems to me that there was a sense, I get a sense of threat that your parents perceived from the outside world. And, and, and I'm just sort of trying to get a sense of, of where that might have come from or what it is. It wasn't the devil because they weren't religious. And, and, and so I'm just sort of trying to get a sense of, um, uh, of where that threat might have come from that, that had them keep you so close to home. I don't know. I had, hadn't thought along those lines. Uh, maybe because I was so small. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> it would be easy to hurt, hurt me or for me to get lost or something. I haven't thought about that. But, I mean, it's, uh, sorry to be annoying, but it would be a kind of important question, right? Because if, if um, I mean, just in terms of the, there's a theory which I think is not proven, but I think a good starting place, which says something like that the unexpressed emotions within the family uh, have the greatest effect on us in terms of our development uh, and in terms of our own unconscious. So I'm just trying to sort of figure out, because it's unusual to me for there to be this um, uh, very much keeping you close to their their chest, right? Right. And uh, so I'm just trying to get a sense of, like, w w when the world was spoken of, um, what was it spoken of as? And I'll sort of give you an example. Like, when I was a kid, I had this uh, babysitter who, not that I noticed or cared at the time when I was, like, six years old, but she was very physically attractive. And we were walking down the street one day, and... These guys uh, uh, drove by in a car, hooting uh, and, and honking and whistling and thumping the, the roof of the car, because apparently that's the, the best they could come up with in terms <laughs> of uh, making themselves attractive. And I, just, I remember my babysitter, whose name was Yvonne, said, 
oh, it's a wicked, wicked world. But I could tell that she was pleased at the attention at the same time she was frowning on it and so on. And so I, like, people who are older give us a sense of what the world is or what it's like or what people are like beyond the sort of charmed circle of the family. And I'm just trying to get a sense of, of um, what your parents might have said about the world to themselves or to you, or maybe it was never expressed. Maybe it came out in oblique ways that gave uh, a sense of what they thought the world was like or what the people in it were like. Wow, I can't uh, recall hardly anything. Actually, most of my experience was that my mom liked to go out and visit people and would take me with her and didn't seem afraid of the world. Okay, so when you were when you wanted to go out and you would say to your was it your mom mostly who didn't want you to go out alone? Yeah, mostly. Okay. So when you would go to your mom and say, "Mom, I want to go out." What would her emotional reaction be? Yeah, it's a, I think it would be like fearful, like, "Oh, you don't want to do that." Uh, you know, sort of uh that bad things can happen. I don't want you to to get involved in bad things. Right, okay. And and what that gives me a sense of, and again, this is like total remote nonsense, so, you know, take it or leave it for what it's worth. What I get a sense of there is that, I mean, did she think that you were a good kid or a bad kid? Uh, I don't know. Maybe a little of both. Uh, I'm sure she thought I was good sometimes and thought I was bad at others, but... Uh... I don't know if there's a verdict on which one she thought I was. All right. Um, but, but what I, and the reason that I ask that is I get a sense that if, if I have a kid and I say, don't go out into the world, because was, what, did she think that you would do bad things or that bad things would be done unto you? I think she imagined bad things would happen to me. Right. Okay. So... If she, yeah, and that's why I asked. If, if she thought you were a bad kid, then she would basically want to keep you home to protect you from spreading your evil to other children. <laughs> I mean, so to speak, kind of foolishly, right? Right. But if she thought that you were a good kid, then what I get a sense of from that is that good uh, people, and, and by the time you're in your teens, you're, you know, 90% a person, right? I mean, in terms of being an adult and yeah. and so on. So. What I get a sense of is that this idea that good people go out there kind of like, like Pinocchio, you know, just wanders out and then <laughs> a whole series of bad things happen to them or could, right? That, that good people are kind of helpless in the face of the, the, um, the nastiness or the potential nastiness of the world. That that's, sounds about like what uh, my mom, what not related to me, but uh, what she seemed like what what would happen to me if I went outside alone. Right. So, like, there are predators on the corner, and, and, and it's not that you would be a bad kid and would say, you know, strangers have the best candy or whatever, right? <laughs> but, but the fact is that you would, um, uh, that you would be, was it that you would be naive, that you would be easily fooled or tricked by these bad people, or would it, was she more afraid? I know this is not anything she probably expressed to you, but in your gut or in your experience... Do you think that she was afraid that you would be physically overpowered or uh, tricked or fooled by bad people? Gee, I, I think she did sort of relay that I would be physically overpowered. I never got uh, the inkling that she thought I was, would be uh, tricked into doing things. Right, like she didn't say, I know that you really want to join the Crips, but... <laughs> 
you know, for someone of your size, it may not be the best thing. <laughs> so she felt that there was um, a, 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 the, the potential of a physical attack that was out there in the world. That's what it seems to be, yeah. Okay. Now, do you have uh, any siblings? Yeah, two brothers younger than me. And what was her, your mom's relationship in terms of the danger of the world between yourself and your brothers? As in... Uh, well, were they allowed to go out? Not until I was a teenager or so. She let my youngest brother go out a little more, but uh, she treated us pretty much the same. So uh, it was not a gender thing in terms of the omnipresent threat of physical attack. It wasn't like that the attack was going to be sexual or quasi-sexual in nature based on the fact that you were a woman. It was just that anybody who was small could be physically overpowered by the bad people in the world? That, that's uh, more of what I get the impression of, yeah. Okay, okay, good. And what was your father's relationship to your mother's fear of the world? Hmm. Sounds like he was afraid of her, but I don't want to put words in your mouth or anything. Well, that's true. Uh, in, in terms of general, the world itself, hmm. I don't know, but I know that he was, uh, he would defer to her whenever she asked him to do something, or she would, uh, you know, berate him in front of other people. So. Oh, okay. So she was quite verbally aggressive. Yes. And did this occur to you uh, as well, uh, or was it mostly to your father? Uh, I don't think it happened to me very often, but I... I do feel sorry for my dad because it happened to him pretty often. And when you got, this also occurred when you became a teenager, this uh, verbal berating of your dad? Yeah. And how did that make you feel when you would be in the presence of that? It made me feel, uh, feel sorry for my dad. And why did, did you ever um, uh, talk to your mother about this? No, I never did. Um, why do you think that is? I just figured that was the way it should be. I'm not sure. Well, um, but but that's not how you felt it should be, right? Because you felt bad. I did feel bad, yeah. And uh, did it ever cross your mind to talk about this with your mother? Or uh, was it something that, that uh, just it never occurred to you? In fact, it may never have occurred to you until this very moment. <laughs> Uh, talking with my mother was not something I liked to do. I I avoided it pretty much all the time. And why was that? Uh, well, I didn't. Whenever I asked her something I was interested in, she would always answer, "I don't know." Or, uh, I'm not sure what. But I never got any good answers from her. I don't think. And um, so you would go to her and say, "I'm really interested in X, Y, and Z." And what would she say? She goes, oh, you don't, you don't want to think about that, or you don't you know, like philosophy things that I, I was interested in when I was a teenager. Uh, that, that doesn't have any bearing on, uh, you know, the real world. It's not practical. Right. 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 Learn to sew. Right, right. Okay. <laughs> um, and was there anything that you were interested in that your mother took an interest in? I'm thinking, but I'm not... Recalling anything, no. Take your time. We're in, we're in no <laughs> rush. This is my job, so, you know, I'm working. 
Okay, so uh, so in a sense, if I understand it rightly, it was more like, or it may have felt more like, not that your mother rejected certain interests of yours, but rather that she rejected you, right? Because if, if you reject all of somebody's interests, then there's nothing left that you're accepting, right? <laughs> That's true. Okay. Oh, she, oh, there was one exciting thing that we did together. Uh, my brothers and I and my mom went to Disneyland one year when I was about, oh, I don't know, uh, 11 or so. And we didn't bring our dad. Uh, but uh, we talked beforehand, you know, about it, how fun it would be. And we looked at all the, uh, you know, coupons and the uh, maps and things and planned out what we would do and things. That was pretty cool. Right, right. Now, um, do you know why uh, you ended up being uh, adopted? Uh, was it that your mother couldn't have kids, or, or what was the story? Yeah, my mom had diabetes. She weighed about 300 pounds, I guess, when I was little, and uh, couldn't have kids, or so they told her, although she did have kids later on. Or she oh, had yeah, so your brothers were biological, and it was you who was adopted, right? Uh, two adopted, one a biological. Uh, okay, so, okay. My now, brother. I'm trying to... I'm sorry, go ahead. My youngest brother was uh, biological. Right, right. Well, of course, that makes you sound like you're robotic. <laughs> he was biological, <laughs> but I made it in silicon. Um, okay, so I'm, trying, I'm just trying to sort of understand something here, which is, which to me, cuts kind of to the core of the family structure that I'm trying to get a sense of. And, and this is going to be an odd question. It's something that we generally don't ask ourselves for pretty important reasons, but... I found it to be quite a fruitful question when I pondered it myself, so you can take your time, or you can let me know if it's not a useful question. It doesn't sound to me that your mother took pleasure in you being around. I mean, if she rejects everything that you, if she re rejects you, then it doesn't seem to me that she took a lot of pleasure uh, in, in having you around. And I'm not saying there weren't times when you guys had fun or whatever, but, but overall, yeah, uh, pretty much I thought I was like an annoyance that uh, made noise when she was trying to uh, do other things. Right, so you felt like uh, 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 an, an inflicted burden, so to speak. <laughs> that, that could be true, yes. Well, I don't see, and I'm sorry to be, uh, I, I don't want to go uh, any further building a bridge if, if, the, if, the, if, the, if it's not attached to the side of the canyon, so I, I don't want uh, uh, just to be annoyingly precise. Um, it, if it's not true, that's no problem. Then we, I just need to sort of work with that fact. But just based on the fact that you said, well, you know, you, you, you were sort of an interruption and she didn't take pleasure in your thoughts and she rejected your interests and so on, that doesn't sound like love, right? I mean, that doesn't sound like somebody who takes a positive pleasure in somebody else being around. That's true. Because um, I had a different uh, reaction from my grandma who actually, you know, was glad to see me when I visited and stuff. And you really feel that difference as a kid, right? Yeah. I mean, it's like, uh, I know, like, um, uh, when I was a kid, when I'd be around the few people who seemed to enjoy my company, uh, I would feel like my chest would, would open up. I'd feel like, um, I don't know, this is sort of a stupid metaphor, but there was an advertisement uh, on the TV, uh, I don't know, years ago. And it was one of these, you know, these Cadbury cream eggs they have out at, at, um, uh, at Easter, those yeah. chocolate ones? And they have those sort of white and yellow, weirdly synthetic but very tasty <laughs> kind of insides. Yeah. I would feel literally like when I would be around people who would enjoy my company, I'd really feel like I was a, one of those eggs opening. Not breaking, <laughs> but opening and sharing. 
and then when I would be around, like, when I would be around people who didn't, I'd feel like, because I had a box of those when I was a kid, and I put them in the freezer so they'd last, and I'd, I'd feel like one of those frozen eggs rather <laughs> than an open, does, does that ring any sort of bells, and it's not the same metaphor that you would have, but there's a real emotional difference when you're around people who are enjoying your company, right? Well, it's uh, not as profound as what you uh, <laughs> My described. profound chocolate, right? <laughs> yeah. But I did, you know, come to like my grandma better than my mom. Well, can you tell me what it is that you liked about your mother? Because if you say that you liked your grandmother better than your mom, it indicates that you liked your mom to some degree. I'm not saying you didn't. I'm just trying to understand what, what you did like about her. I don't know. She would, you know, bring bring things for me once in a while from work, uh, some things for me to play with, pencils and felt pens and things. And if I wanted to ever do anything, she was the one I would have to contact. So <laughs> I was uh, seeking her out all the time. Well, but that was because of a fear of, of punishment, right? I don't know. I really feared being punished because I did, you know, sneak away a few times and didn't get punished and so I figured oh well, I guess I guess I could do that more often. Huh, that's interesting. Okay. I mean you, you realize this is totally heartbreaking to hear, right? Like that's when terrible. I say what you like your mom and it's like she she brought me felt pens and <laughs> yeah. you know, like you realize that there's no there's no hallmark moment that says thanks for the, for the crappy pen, pen from work. <laughs> I, mean, I don't think that you feel very sad about it, but I can tell you that I do. Yep, I would, that would not be the ideal family. So, so the question that I want to ask you, if you don't mind, and again, this is all totally up to you, but the question I want to ask you, which seems it's, it's hard for me to figure out. This is like a round peg into a square hole, to use an oddly appropriate metaphor, which was if your mother did not... In, and and did, she, did she enjoy the company of your brothers uh, more than you or less than you or about the same? Uh, I don't recall her having a, any preference, so I would say about the same. Okay, okay. See, this is very strange, right? So here we have a woman who gets married and who we can assume, since she had three kids, um, tried for quite some time to get pregnant before being told that this was not an option. And then went through what is obviously a, an arduous and difficult course of adopting a baby, right? Like I have um, – uh, I, I had a boss who, who adopted two kids. And it takes like one to two years. It takes a lot of money. Uh, there's a lot of uh, stress and expense involved, right? Yeah, lawyers, paperwork, all that, all that stuff. All right. Yeah, it's like I don't know what it is now, ten, twenty thousand $20,000. And it's like it's a big, big deal. And, and it's, um, it's risky, right? Because, you know, maybe it works out, maybe it doesn't, maybe the, you keep the baby, and there's, you know, there's a take-back period and all this kind of stuff. So, so it's a big, big, big deal yeah. to, uh, to go adopting a kid, right? And two, right? Yeah, two. I even remember when we adopted my older brother, or my brother, and uh, it was a big deal. We had to get dressed right. up to, to go visit the lawyers many times. Right, right. And so it's really strange. I mean, it's almost as much work to become a doctor and almost as much expense to become a doctor as it is to adopt kids, right? Wow. Years and tens and tens of thousands of dollars and so on, right? That's right. 
So it seems to me rather odd uh, to analogize it, and this is part of the, I'm sorry to be a roundabout rambling guy, but that can't be a surprise to you. <laughs> but um, if, if I say, gee, you know, I really, really want to be a doctor, that's all I want to do is be a doctor, and I spend, you know, years and years becoming a doctor, I spend tens of, ten, of thousands of dollars, and as it turns out, I don't even end up getting paid. I say, I want to be a volunteer doctor in the third world, or whatever, you know, like, and then... I spend the next 20 years being perpetually annoyed by being a doctor. That would be weird. It would be weird, right? Like you'd think, well, what was the point of all of that? Nobody made you become a doctor. Nobody forced you to go through this long and arduous process. And now all you do is complain that your patients are really annoying <laughs> and that you don't like medicine, right? Right. I mean, do you see the fundamental question? Why did your mom have kids? Or get kids. Yep. Why? Yep. Social uh, normally or normally in those days, women got married and had kids, and that was just the thing to do. But that's that's quite a lot to uh, <laughs> I mean to take on for the sake of some social approval, right? Could be. Yeah. I mean, because not only is it very expensive and time-consuming and stressful to get the kids. But then you spend 20 years not enjoying their company and finding them annoying, right? <laughs> wow. Yeah, why would they do that? Yeah, so why? Because, and, and the reason that I asked about the religiosity earlier was because clearly they didn't care enough about other people's opinions to show up at church, right? Right. So we know that they're not totally susceptible to peer pressure, right? They don't run their lives according to peer pressure, right? That's true. Because they, they, they get a kid that they promised to put in the Catholic cult so they didn't even show up to church. <laughs> right? So they're not run by social conformity and the expectations of others, right? Not entirely, yep. Well, not much, really. Right? Well, not entirely would be like, well, they skip church a couple of times a year. But they only went to church a couple of times a year, and they never believed, they never read the Bible, they never prayed. They, so we know for sure, even after making a commitment to have you raised as a Catholic, we know for sure that they're not very motivated by social pressure. That's true. Good point. I, I have like a, a what retroactive respect for them right now. <laughs> well... I'm not going to help you with that, <laughs> unfortunately. And not because I have – I love the idea of parenting. I love the idea of family. I think family is the most beautiful institution potentially uh, in the world. But um, that gives you maybe some respect for their independence vis-a-vis -vis religion. But it raises a much higher barrier to the answering of the question, why did your mom have children? Because if you say, well, it was just expected, it was social conformity – that answer doesn't work, right? Because we know that that, that that wasn't their primary motivation. Yeah, that's that seems to be true. So, and and the annoying thing that I'm going to say is that you know exactly why your mom had kids. Wow, I wonder because what it is. Because you know, like, yeah. I, I go with this we know everything kind of theory, and it seems to work, right? Maybe it will, maybe it won't, but but we you know exactly because you can't spend. 20 years or 30 years around someone and not know everything there is to know about them, particularly when you grow up around them because kids study their parents, right? They're right. like Dan Fossey on The Last Ape, you know, <laughs> they, a gorilla, I guess, right? They, they study their parents intently because 
that's our that's our environment when we're growing up. We have to know our parents' thoughts, motivations, feelings, desires, impulses, personalities. You know, we have to know all of that stuff. It's 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 not possible to be a kid around a parent and not study that parent intensely. So, I can virtually guarantee you that you know, but I can also guarantee you that it's going to be very hard to get to that knowledge. Wow. Well, I'm willing to to give it a try, I suppose. And can, and the and the reason why, see, the reason why I think all of this would be very useful to you. I mean, it's it's not because you know it's so much fun to skip down memory, memory lane and find all the landmines, but you have, shall we say, a complex relationship with authority as an adult, right? It's uh, unusual, I'd say. It is unusual. I will certainly say that. And uh, I don't mean that it's bad or negative or dysfunctional. It could be by far the greatest and most powerful thing on the planet and so on, right? And most positive and beneficial thing on the planet. But I think that it's hard to have a clear relationship with authority as an adult if we have a murky or unconscious or unclear relationship with our initial impressions of authority when we were children, right? Because that's that's how we first know and understand authorities through our parents, through our teachers, and so on. Yeah, I see. And so, so, and and all that means is that if you want to take on political or secular authority as an adult, which could be the best thing in the world to do, you just want to make sure that you're not being driven by anything from the past, right? Right. So I think, in particular, that's why I'm focusing in on these uh, these areas. Uh, if that makes sense. Yeah, it could be helpful to me, I believe. Right, right. I mean, no, okay, never mind. Okay, so, so the question is, why, why did your mom have, why did she work so hard and spend so much money and time and effort and energy and stress and worry to get a hold of kids that she didn't seem to want around? I know, it's, it's looking at all the efforts that she made to raise me and my brothers, uh, I really can't understand why 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 she would want kids. Yeah, it's a real mystery. I mean, it is a genuine mystery, right? I mean, and it's a really, really important one, I think, right? Yep, and I don't think my dad had much to do with it because. Uh, well, except for the last one, right? Yeah, except for yep. Yeah. Okay, so tell me about your mother's relationship with food and weight and eating and so on. Let's see. Well, she was like very obese when I was uh, a baby. And uh, like to uh, to go out to uh, dinner, lunch, ice cream, uh, you know, after dinner and stuff like that. And, but later on, she well, she had diabetes her whole life, I guess. And when she hit uh, fifty or so, her health started to uh, get bad, so she lost a lot of weight so much that she became thin, and uh, and very cranky too. <laughs> so. Well, she sounds a little cranky. Uh, she sounds, I mean, maybe more cranky, right? Because she was pretty cranky when you were young, right? Well, it seems to me that she was crankier the thinner she got, but... Uh... Right. right. And this is another way that we know that your mother is not driven by social convention, right? Because people who are heavily driven by social convention don't tend to gain that much weight. Simply uh -huh. because, rightly or wrongly, it's not particularly approved or respected of in society, right? That's true. 
And we also know, uh, do, you, do you know what your father's relationship with your mother's weight was? I can't say like, why that didn't I... Why did some? I'm so I sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I didn't... I don't, he never uh, mentioned that he didn't like her weight or her looks or anything. I never heard anything like that. Or, so, or so he, if he never would... said that he liked her looks or anything, I don't think either. Right. So if we were to m put a preliminary map around your mom, it's that people were scared of her and people didn't even consider bringing up an honest opinion to her. From my point of view, that's exactly right. And uh, I can hardly think of anyone who didn't think that way, yeah. No, I'm sure. Look, I mean, I'm sure it had nothing to do with you as an individual because your brothers didn't and your dad didn't. And I'm sure um, that lots of people didn't. So here we have a totalitarian family system, right? A matriarchy and not a good matriarchy either, right? Well, right. Uh... So what are the consequences of speaking the truth to your mom? If you were to say to her, Mom, I don't like this, I don't like that, uh, these are my preferences, I'm not going to inflict them on you, I'm just going to tell you what I like and what I don't like, so see if you want to change your behavior, and you can tell me the same thing, but I really don't like it when you berate Dad, when there are people around. That really mm -hmm. makes me feel uncomfortable, and I don't think it's, it certainly doesn't make him happy either. And I don't think it makes you look good either. Like, what would be the consequences of saying that to your mom? Well, I would never have thought of that. <laughs> But uh, she would well, no, most... I guarantee you that you did think of it at some point, because wow. children are all born with the desire to be frank with their parents, right? Wow. That was a long time ago. Yeah, it would, be, it would have been a long time ago, for sure. So I think she would. her reaction would be that she would um, uh, laugh at you or try to make fun of whatever you thought was important or that whatever subject you were trying to convince her of. Well, but I mean, I, I, I don't know if you've read or, or heard the, the book on uh, real-time relationships, but then you could just say, well, it really makes me feel bad when you laugh at something that's important to me. And, and it's like, what would happen if you just continued to be honest about your experience of your mother in the moment with her? Well, I don't know. More <laughs> laughing, I suppose. I'm sorry? Oh, more of her uh, making fun of you or mocking you. Yes, but then what would happen is at some point you and I and everybody would then start to uh, either get very angry or burst into tears or there would be some sort of emotional reaction to the continual humiliation. And what would she do then? Hmm. Gee, I'm not sure. I'm sure it must have happened to me, but I can't remember exactly how she dealt with it. Yeah, the reason that we don't ever think of taking the first step down a particular road is because we know what the last step is. Right. And my guess, my guess, is that there would be uh, mocking and humiliation, and then if you burst into tears, there would be additional mocking and humiliation, and if you continued to stay uh, honest with her, at some point you would get to the rage, right? Because this is an angry woman. There were times you, you, I've you seen her angry. Yeah. You don't bully people and reject your children unless you're angry, right? 
huh, I don't see how that follows, but... Well, um, if you bully somebody... Well, okay. I mean, you've, you've spent a lifetime studying philosophy and authority, right? Why do, why do people bully others? Uh, I don't know. To uh, try to make themselves feel better? To uh... Well, what you say is uh, to make their uh, abuse as children seem normal. Yeah, there certainly is that aspect for sure, um, and uh, um, and and there is of course a, a self hatred, uh, a, a self diminishing, a feeling of non existence or negative existence, which drives people to want to assert power over others so that they can feel like they come to life. You're know, like a vampire preying on a victim or something like that. Wow. And we we know for sure that your mom knew who your dad was when she married him, right? Yeah, that's pretty much true, right? For everyone. That he'd like go roll over, right? Right. And so she chose someone to get married, not because she loved him, not because she respected him, not because she treasured him, not because he was heroic or because he was courageous or because he was whatever, whatever, right? But she chose him because she could dominate him. Yes. So she voluntarily entered into a relationship with a husband in order to dominate him. Yeah, that would, uh, I would say that was true. Do you notice me poking the back door lock as to why she had children? No, I'm not following. Okay, well, tell me again. The theory, that's just a theory, right? But tell me again the theory that we're working with as to why your dad voluntarily chose to get married to... Sorry, why your mom voluntarily chose to get married to your dad. So she would have someone to dominate, to bully around, to to make her feel better. And do you see how this pattern could be Wait. a reasonable explanation as to why she pursued the acquisition and the birth of children? Aha, uh -huh. so to have someone smaller than her that she could uh, have control over and dominate. Yeah. It seems kind of uh, likely, doesn't it? Well, it's, it's a, you know, we're just, this is like, this is the, the weirdest science on the planet, right? Because we're just looking at patterns and trying to come up with theories. These are not things that can be empirically tested because, of course, they're both dead and so on. But, but you have the knowledge of all of this within you. I mean, of that, I'm completely certain. You know, whether that's true theory or not, that's the certainty that I bring to the table. And I would modify that a little bit uh, because you said to, to control and, and to dominate. And I think if I understand your experience of your mother, and I'm trying not to commingle my experience uh, of my mother because she was uh, different but not that different in a way, but um, what happened for you around your mother – okay, let me not tell you. Let me ask you. In general, if you had to sort of characterize it in a sentence or two or three – what did it feel like to be around your mother? Like if you were in the kitchen with her or if you were in day-to-day, -day, sort of around the home, like you're sitting there and she comes into the room or whatever. What did, what did it feel like to be around your mother? What were the emotions that were associated with that? Well, whatever you were doing, uh, you'd have to put it down and pay attention to her. Uh, you'd, or what? Or, I don't know. Uh, 
I guess uh, she would be really loud and not let you continue with whatever you're doing. And uh, the emotion of wanting to get away would, would pop into your head right away. I, I mean, I can totally understand that. That seems like a perfectly sensible reaction. And again, completely heartbreaking. But um, if you couldn't get away, what was the feeling? The feeling that I get, and I'm not trying to put anything into your mouth, right? But the feeling that I get is sort of like, I'm in a tiger with a cage and I don't know if he's hungry or not. I'm in a cage with a tiger, sorry, and I don't know if he's hungry or not. Like being afraid of uh, getting completely mauled emotionally, I guess. Huh? Right, and, and you don't know for sure if it's going to come, right? I don't remember feeling like that, but there were times when my mom did get angry, yes. Oh, I have no doubt. I have no doubt, and I can guarantee you that the only way that you could ensure that she did not get angry was to self-erase. Uh-huh. What does that uh, mean to you? To be quiet and not uh, bring up anything you, that you care about. Right. Right, to be, be like a liquid that gets poured into the sort of twisted personality of your mom, right? Right. Like, I, the moment I have an independent opinion, bam, she's going <laughs> to attack, right? Right, and you have to pay attention to her and what she wants to do and listen to whatever she decides to talk about. Right. Now, do you know, and again, this is, remember, I'm just, a, I'm just an amateur idiot on the internet, right? So this is all nonsense, right? It's just whatever resonates emotionally and whatever is worth exploring to you. But in general, do you know what the technical term is? for a personality type that attacks independent thought in others, the personality type that chooses or surrounds herself with weak and dependent people, and by that I don't mean you as a personality, but simply you as a child and your brothers as children, who doesn't let them out of her sight, but doesn't let them flourish around her? No, I've never heard a term to describe that. The term is a narcissist. Oh, okay. A narcissist, and again, this is just, this is not the DSM-4, this is not a, you know, this is not a psychiatric definition. This is <laughs> my understanding and my experience of my exploration of the term. So again, all the caveats in the world, you can look it up and maybe I'm completely wrong. But the way that I work with the term narcissist is something like this. A narcissist is a personality that fundamentally does not exist. It does not have any reason like a ghost. It's like a ghost in the body. It's like a ghost in the flesh. And because the personality does not exist, it can only feel alive through causing other personalities to not exist, to repress them, to control them, to subject, to, to subject them to bullying, to attacks, to uh, whim-based... Uh, uh, and, and that's why when your mom comes in the room... You have to put down what you're doing and focus on her because mm -hmm. if you don't, you're going to get attacked because you can't have an independent thought or life or existence when your mom is around. But she won't let you leave, right? She wouldn't let you go out. She wouldn't let you find other people. And the reason, of course, is that if you went out and you found stronger, more positive, when you were a kid, and a teenager, and you found stronger and po more positive role models, 
then who she was would become denormalized. It would become something odd, something strange. Like imagine if you found a friend when you were in your early teens who came from a you know, really strong and healthy and positive and, and mentally alive and emotionally open family, and your friend then came over, and your mom was doing her bully narcissist erasure of all around her routine, what would your friend say to you? I don't know. Um, I suppose wouldn't say, uh, well, goodbye, I gotta go now. <laughs> no, I don't think that your friend would say that. I mean, if she was a real friend, right? If she was a really kind and caring person. What? She would mention that uh, my mom... I don't know. Uh, dominates all the conversations, or... No, I don't know. Right. And that's interesting, right? I mean, again, the, the reason that these conversations, to me at least, is so important is that they help us map. This is all stuff that you do know. I mean, I guarantee you that you do know it. But the thing is that when you were a kid and when you were a teenager and so on, you were not allowed to know this, right? It was not permitted for you to have. I mean, you know all of this stuff because, as I talk about it in the RTR book, when your mom's key is in the lock, how you feel is what you know. And because you felt... Uh, scared or frustrated or frightened or angry or resentful or bored or you know, alienated or whatever, or cautious, alarmed, anxious, whatever it is. They're all negative things, right? So you know exactly what the story is with your mom and you always have and you always will. It's just whether or not we can consciously map it out or not, right? So that we can integrate uh, the knowledge. Um, but a friend, when you were a teenager, would not have told you what your mom was like but would have asked you how you felt around your mom. You know, like I noticed that you don't jump up and run into your mom's arms with a big giggle when she comes in the room because that's the relationship that I have with my mom. So it just seems odd to me. And, and I, can th I think I may know why or whatever, but tell me what your experience of your mom is and so on. And you'd have those long conversations, right? Mm -hmm. Now, clearly, <laughs> that would be highly beneficial for you, but highly not beneficial for who? For my mom. Right. So the fact that you are sort of not allowed to ask these questions, these basic and important questions, do I like my mom? Why did she have children? What was the nature of our relationship? What was the motivation? Uh, in the, how is it that I have construed authority based on my first 20 years direct experience of, of living under it and so on, right? These are all obvious questions, particularly for a woman as intelligent and philosophically minded as yourself, right? Yeah, must have thought them sometime. Well, yeah, but I mean, the thought is the punishment, right? It's it, it's a thought crime. I mean, families, the thought crime, I mean, George Orwell, if you read his autobiography, he's just talking about his family. Right? Oh, <laughs> In wow. Boarding school, is not talking, right? But, um, uh, yeah, because 1984 is a terrifying novel, not because it's an imaginary future, because it's for all <laughs> too many people. It's a very real past, right? Wow. But, uh, uh, but... To not, to not ask these questions is, is simply the result of it being a thought crime. But you can't go down that road because you know where that road leads, right? And your mom doesn't want you to go down that road because if you go down that road, her power over you vanishes, right? 
Right. People only have power over us if we consider them virtuous. Really? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I don't mean like, <laughs> I'm not talking about Solzhenitsyn in a gulag, right? I mean, then they have power over you because yeah. they can screw you up, right? But, and they've got guns. But in terms of personal relationships, people can only have power over us if we consider them virtuous, right? So if somebody writes me, as I regularly get, these, you know, <laughs> ghastly blistering emails about, you know, what a horrible manipulative cult leader I am and this and that and the other, right? That only has the power to affect me if I respect the opinion of the person who's writing me, right? That's true, yeah. Otherwise, If I think care. that they're a good and honest and virtuous person, I mean, if my wife tells me something that she would rather I be doing, pff, I'm all ears, right? Because she's a great woman, highly virtuous and great integrity. So, I mean, I'm all ears, right? And there are lots of people uh, in this community and in my friendships where I'm like, I am a slave to their opinions, right? I mean, because I just think that they're wise and smart and good and so on, right? But the people I don't consider virtuous. I mean, it's not like it never hurts. I mean, <laughs> I'm not like a, a robot, but but that's what I use, right? So when somebody posts something vicious or vile or evil or nasty or whatever, or the trolls that have shown up from time to time, it's like, well, if I don't consider them virtuous people, then their authority over me vanishes, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you really don't right, care. So. Yeah. I'm sorry? If there's somebody that you don't think is virtuous, you just don't care what they think. Yeah, Yeah. I mean, I, I will block their email or whatever if it's, you know, if it's ugly enough, because why would I want to, you know, why would I want to step in shit, right? <laughs> I mean, right. if I just put boots on, right? Uh, it doesn't mean I'm going to go back and step in shit again, but I even have it in the first place, right? So, so it's not like it has no effect on me, but fundamentally the effect is very transitory, right? It's like, ooh, that's a nasty thing to say. Well, this means that this person is, is abusive and this person doesn't think and this person is acting out some horrible post-traumatic stress disorder based on their own history. It's got nothing to do with me. They're showing no curiosity. They're not analyzing my thoughts intelligently. They're not um, you know, helping instruct me if I'm in error and so on. And so clearly they're just venting their shit, right? Clearly they're just venting their bile, right? Right. It's got nothing to do with me, right? Because a good and virtuous person doesn't send abusive emails, right? Just stuff like that. I mean... It, so it's just a, you know, I think the technical Greek term is a dickhead or something like that, right? <laughs> so it, it's just nothing to do with me and it's nothing that I can respect and it's nothing that, it just it's a passes by. And if you were to get, if as a kid or as a teenager, if you were to get a view of your mother that she was, um, you know, a stifling, I'm not saying all of this is true, but, you know, if, if it was, right, that she was like a stifling, crushing, narcissistic life eater, so to speak, right? Yeah. Then her power over you would diminish. And you, you know, she's still your mom, so you got to do what she says, blah, 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 right? Because you don't want to fight all the time. But you do it with the knowledge that you're only doing it because she's the mom, she has the power, and she, you know, can help withhold food or whatever, right? It, it just becomes a, um, a compliance to power, not a respect for authority. Right. Now, I'm sorry, I've just given you a whole lot of information. I don't want to keep plowing on. Just just let me know where you're at, what you're thinking. So now I'm looking for the... Apparently, I have still think my mom was virtuous because I can't uh, just, you know, not care about what she, what she did, I guess. 
No, you'll always care about what she did. We, we can't ever not care about it. Because unlike some idiot out there on the internet, our parents dominated our lives for decades, right? Yeah. <laughs> can't, can't, you know, you can't, uh, you can't be in, I'm not saying you were, but to analogize, you can't be in a war for 15 years and then not dive to the sidewalk when a car backfires. I mean, it's, it's built in. It's hardwired. It's your experience, right? So we can't ever not, I don't think that we can ever not care, right? But the reason that all of this to me is, is coming up is, is the reason that we, for me, the reason that we go to the past is to, is to look at the present, look at the future, right? I'm going to put forward a completely ridiculous theory, <laughs> which you can uh, uh, shoot down at a moment's notice. And it's, it's, again, just musings and ramblings based on what we've said. So uh, certainly nothing carved in stone or even written on water. But I would say that where we lack understandings about the truths of the past, we are compelled to recreate the same situations in the present. Until we get them right, yeah. Yeah, until we until we get them right, until we get the understanding, and then we're free of them. And again, I go into a whole, I have a whole chapter on this in the book, uh, so I won't go into any of the whys here. But let's just say for the moment that that is the case, right? Well, you keep running into uh, a, a, a brutal authority that 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 dominates you, right? I mean, through your your activism, right? Yes. And this is not to say that your activism is, is, is you know, oh, it's just psychologically motivated. I don't know, I mean, because I don't know anything about that. But what I will say is that if you are not conscious of the degree to which you were subjected to an arbitrary, brutal, and destructive authority when you were a child, then you will be very tempted to continue to re-expose yourself to an arbitrary, unjust, and brutal authority as an adult. That could be happening, yeah. And that doesn't mean that what you're doing is not good. Maybe it's, but but you want to make sure that you're not doing it because of that reason, right? Right. And when I say that, which perhaps may be somewhat startling to you, uh, what does it? Uh, what do you think, or what do you what do you feel about it? That's what I thought when I was in uh, jail last time. Yeah, so I've had that inkling before. That it was sort of to do with your, it may have something to do with your history, that kind of stuff? Right. And what was your thought about the causality or the possible causality when you were in jail last time? I was wondering, uh, you know, this is pretty rotten here. Uh, who would want me to live like this? Uh, the answer came, uh, my mom would. Oh, so I should have let you start, then we wouldn't have had to go through all of this. <laughs> <laughs> right. 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 Right, and of course, it is a terrible, terrible thing, and this is so often the case, it's so common the case, this is culture as a whole, but it's a terrible, terrible thing how, how long we can spend doing, doing our childhoods over, right? Yep, seems like a, a waste of time. Right, right, and, and again, if, if you sort of get a, a more solid understanding of, of the causality here, you may, you may end up doing the same thing, but at least it will be something that you're conscious of. I strongly suspect that you won't end up doing the same thing, you go pounding your head against the wall of the state and get tossed in jail and stuff like that. I strongly yeah. suspect that you won't, but you will find ways of uh, fighting for freedom, which of course is one of the aspects of you that I, for one, hugely respect, but you will find ways of fighting for freedom 
that are not contaminated by the unconscious dictatorships of the past. Yep, that's what I'm afraid of. I haven't been convinced of it yet, but I think it could be possible. Right, yeah, of course. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm certainly nothing I can do to convince you in an hour. And, and it may be wrong, right? Again, I, I always put this with infinite. Uh, there's some stuff that I will fight to the death for, right? There's no question. That I, uh, I will fight to the death for UPB, for logic, for evidence, for empiricism and scientific method and, and the free market. But as far as rummaging around other people's historical attics, uh, that is a, a tender and delicate job, which I would never uh, say this is what it is, right? But uh, this is sort of the stuff that that uh, that strikes me. Yeah, you you brought up a couple of things that I hadn't thought of before. And um, how was this conversation relative to your expectations? Did did we talk about the stuff that you wanted to talk about, or was there anything else that you wanted to talk about? Uh, no, I was just. Uh... Daring myself to actually call you, so <laughs> I succeeded in that. And was it as horrible as you had thought or <laughs> expected? <laughs> no, I knew, it wouldn't be I knew it wouldn't okay, be horrible, okay. but I was just afraid to do it. Right, right. And uh, what uh, do, do you have any thoughts about sort of ne next steps, or if, if you wanted to continue to explore this kind of stuff, what you might do? Yeah, well, uh, I've had a couple of... Uh, interesting dreams when I've asked myself about things recently. So I thought I'd give that a try or just take focus on whatever dreams I have. I think that, yeah, I think that's a useful thing. Um, I don't know. Do you, do you read uh, um, uh, books on psychology or, or, or is that something? Because a lot of people who are philosophically minded are like, eh, psychology is like three steps down from voodoo. Uh, is that <laughs> something that you read or is that something that you don't? Before I started listening to your podcast, yes, I went with the, that it was complete voodoo and uh, there's really been no, no, uh, you know, any uh, verifiable knowledge gained in psychology. But since uh, hearing you mention a few studies, I go, well, I guess they actually do have some, uh, some backing. Yeah, no, it, it can, it certainly can be valuable. Uh, and um, uh, it's in my experience, since, since I had never particularly done this before my thirties uh, in any systematic or organized way, um, I just found that, I mean, FDR came out of uh, rigorous and sometimes appallingly <laughs> intense self-analysis, and uh, that's where my real creativity came from afterwards. And so it can, I think, it is like, a, it is a little bit like fission, sort of fusion in a brain or something like that. So uh, I certainly would strongly recommend it because, I mean, obviously your, your intelligence is, is very strong and your verbal skills are, are amazing and your courage and dedication is only to be envied. And so uh, if, uh, if the same you know, times a million flourishing occurs for you as it did for me, then, I mean, you'd be a largely unstoppable force that would be able to reverse time and travel to other dimensions, <laughs> which would be uh, cool. Uh, so I would or definitely something recommend... something like that, yeah. Yeah, something <laughs> like that. Um, I, I don't know if you've read Nathaniel Brandon's Psychology of Self-Esteem is a good book. Um, Alice Munro's work uh, on childhood and its effect upon uh, adults' uh, political motivations and so on is, is really, really good. And... Um, just to have a go through those, uh, and um, uh, hopefully it will help this. I mean, there's this, you know, worky-booky kind of stuff that you can do, which sounds totally cheesy, but can actually be really, really helpful. Um, cognitive psychology work and so on. So, you know, it is, um, it, it is the, for me, it was the great unsurprise, uh, sorry, the great surprising journey of the second half of my life was joining the inner world to the outer world. And I'd spent so much time examining and exploring the outer world 
and left my inner world a little, well, quite a lot untended that uh, uh, I would certainly recommend the journey, uh, strange though it may seem, to somebody who's obviously as, as outwardly directed as you and, and as I was. But, you know, it's a, it really is an amazing journey. Okay, I'll uh, look into those. Okay, and uh, how do you feel about uh, our conversation? I think it, I think it would be very helpful to to other people to listen. Uh, but uh, you're welcome to have a listen to it first. Uh, you know, you get first dibs on on what happens to it. Cool. Uh, I probably wouldn't be opposed to uh, to that. I'd like to listen to it first. You bet. I'll send you uh, a link, uh, and I'll just post it after I've compiled it. I'll do that now uh, in the chat on Skype, and uh, then you can have a listen to it and let me know what you think. Great. I'm very glad you called. It was uh, it was most enjoyable to chat with you, and I'm glad that you found it helpful. Oh yeah, I've got a few things to think about now. Excellent. All right. Well, take care. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hi, it's uh, Steph. This is a day or two after this conversation, and I just wanted to tack on something here at the end, which is so obvious in hindsight, but didn't occur to me at all during the conversation, which is that this woman grew up kind of in a prison, not allowed to go out and kind of kept close to the house and so on. And now, as an adult, she remains drawn to, not drawn to, but accepts as an inevitable consequence of what she is doing and is relatively comfortable with the idea of going to prison. And I think that is something that has only occurred to me afterwards, but I think it's a pretty clear parallel. So I hope that that makes some sense. And thanks, as always, for listening. I look forward to your donations. Pick up some books. I will talk to you soon.